You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back to the Webby Award winning Keep It. Guys, you can't be giving us awards. That's weird. Oprah. Oprah found dead in a ditch. Oh, Who's having right. that conversation? We are Angelica Houston defeating <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. Not at the Oscars this time, but Period. still good, just good enough. Mm, well, I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Webby Award winner Louis Fertel. I'm vaccinated Webby Award winner Aida Osman. Hello. Hello. We are in the building. We are ready to go outside <laughs> again. We've been outside this weekend, girl. I know. We've girl. been out. We've been out. We've been out, out. Out, 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 out. And honestly, I'm ready to just suck whatever dick is put in front of me. Straight dick. Let's go. Oh. It's been a year. Always <laughs> 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 oh, my response and remains my response. <laughs> it's 9 a.m. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, now, I'm currently in New York. It's been fun being in a city like this as opposed to L.A. where I'm driving in my car, um, where you can see the reactions on the street daily to new CDC guidelines. Really? Well, what's the mask situation like? Like that first day that they were like, you don't need the mask outside. Girl, they were off. Yes. That's so yeah. interesting because where I live in LA, I peer out on the street and for the most part, most everybody is still wearing a mask, which mm -hmm. I've got news for you. LA is not a city of mindful people. So <laughs> that really surprises me. Mm. Well, you, you do live there, Lewis. Go to Melrose. Go to yeah. Melrose. Oh, all right. I'll move on down the street a little. Lips is out. Girl, I paid too much for these lips for them not to be out. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm back in Nebraska and during this mask mandate, like being lifted. And then also I was here right when it got put down and they weren't wearing masks at the beginning of the pandemic and they're still wearing masks now. So now I'm just convinced everyone in the Midwest just doesn't watch the news. Like they're just <laughs> slightly behind. It's not even a political choice. It's just laziness. They hear rumors of the news. Yeah, mm. and it takes, you know, years and years for them to get it. It's like how VHS movies used to be after leaving the theaters. I always felt like growing up in the Midwest, like we got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 like six months after the coast did. <laughs> Secret of the Ooze, by the way, of course, the best chapter in the saga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I always felt when certain independent movies would come out. Oh, totally. Like in Wisconsin, mm. high school. It'd be like, LA, New York first, and then you'll get it at some point. Slowly trickle in three or decades later. But now, I don't know, the movies are democratic. I guess, yeah. Everything's coming online now. Cinderella. Streaming. Shout out. <laughs> Wait, the which Cinderella? The K. Cannon directed. It is coming straight to Amazon Prime instead of Ooh. theaters now. Oh, got it, oh, well got it, got it. I only watched the Brandy uh, Cinderella not long ago. Were you there, Ira? I was watching it. I'm usually there. When it's on, <laughs> I appear. Yes. I was shocked at how ugly most of it is. Outside of Brandy's dress and Whitney Houston's dress. You're talking production design, other members of the Correct. cast. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's a very like green and orange sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. Anyway. 
the colors of like bad Nick Jr. shows like Gullah Gullah Island and stuff. <gasps> Not that the shows are bad, but the colors are bad. Okay, girl. Gullah Gullah Island was that girl. How dare you disrespect that show? <laughs> you were about to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Just the look Not of it. Not the Gullah Geechees. <laughs> Let them be. You, you, I mean, you cannot go against Gullah Gullah Island with our fan base because <laughs> one thing about the comments. They are not on your side. <laughs> Has this come up before? I mean, I mean, I'll rail against Nick Jr. right here. Face the mascot of Nick Jr. for forever. Wimp, hate oh, that okay. bastard. Mm. Wow, these are really, really hot takes. Um, <laughs> did you guys? Were you guys Nick at Night fans? Were you Nick at Night yes. fans? I recently learned what a Nickelodeon was, and it blew my mind. Oh yeah, so. it's how I know vintage sitcoms. Mm. Like that's what got me into wanting to do TV, watching the classics. Uh, I love Lucy. Yes. Brady yes. Bunch. Oh, Welcome yes. back, Cotter. <laughs> Get Smart was one of my favorites on Nick at Night. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, no, f- I mean, growing up, if you're like our age, you had to watch those old shows. They were inescapable. They were on other networks too. And now I feel like people really don't have that. Like, mm. why would people know I love Lucy now? Where does that air? Yeah, that's true. There's the, the level of nostalgia is totally lacking. Well, why would they watch that when we have. Um, WandaVision. <laughs> mm. Exactly. Mm. Just that provides the nostalgia yeah. that is exactly what we would need. I guess I should be grateful for that reason. Yeah, that mm-hmm. WandaVision sort of gave you a glimpse into those eras. I found it a little cheesy overall, but okay. Mm. Well, it's supposed to be cheesy. But like Elizabeth Olsen put her back in indie roles. I think we've discussed this one before. Sorry. That's true. That's true. No, no, no it's mm. okay. It's okay. Uh, well, I think no. I love Lucy airing currently for the kids is why everyone thinks Nicole Kidman looks like. Lucille Ball. You know what? I have to say, after Renee Zellweger as Judy, where to me she did resemble her enough, I'll just allow anybody. Or like Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly. Like, yeah. I guess anybody can just do anything now. Like, it works out eventually. Yeah. We're cl- Dakota Fanning's doing a Cecily Tyson biopic. So, I mean, like, if, <laughs> if I'm cool with it. I'm like, Let's go. Let's go. I've lost all my. Sounder the alarm. Sounder the alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my God! I can't wait to see her play the, with the old age makeup, you know, mm-hmm. in all the uh, the hour of the film that will focus on the Medea film. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, this is what you get from a Webby award-winning <laughs> series. Sorry, um, lies. Shout out to our girl um, Jamila Jamil uh, for hosting yep. the award show. Thanks, uh, thanks, Jamila. We love you and Blake. You know, get us some tickets. Slipping into some Amy Winehouse here, yeah. but okay. My Blake incarcerated. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, do you wow. Think, God, do, you think, do you think Jamila says that to James Blake? Hmm. No. Mm-mm. She's not enamored of having an accent the way you are when you use an <laughs> accent. Mm. Mm. My Blake incarcerated. I hope James Blake gets arrested once just so Jamila can call him by Blake incarcerated. That'd be an iconic moment for her. I'm sure in her pangs of distress... She's going to think of that, Ira. I think that's going to be the first yeah. joke she makes. <laughs> I do actually want to shout out her for doing very well this season on Legendary. I think that like last year, the comments were not on her side. But this year, they have fully come into their own as like, what do you expect from these panels since we've seen like American Idol, right? Mm-hmm. She's sort of the Paula role. She's nice. But she seems to have done like a crash course also on 
voguing. Like, I don't know if she was like, you know, sneaking into the ballrooms uh, or Laomi was showing her some VHSs, but like <laughs> she knows better terminology now and is even clocking when people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing in performances. Oh, that's rad. Well, also I'll say on the new season from what I've seen so far, the camera work is so much better. I felt like yeah. in season one, they kept swinging behind poles too often. I felt like I wasn't in the action. I was sort of outside the action. So I'm glad they figured that out. There's also no audience, obviously, because they filmed it during COVID, but it works out better because, yeah, the stage is positioned so much better. They're shooting in L.A., so um, in a, it's in a different space altogether. But, yeah, the camera work is excellent. So, And this might mean we get Laomi back on the show, which was a, such a pleasure. But actually, our guest today... Speaking of legendary, my God. Yeah, speaking of sitcoms, we're getting that classic sitcom vibe again from The Upshaws on Netflix, starring Wanda Sykes, who is our guest today. We don't deserve as a human being into the stand-up community, the world itself, just everything. I love Wanda so much. (laughs) There is no second one of Wanda Sykes. Like, nobody gives that much joy and heat and fun every time she performs and i love her new netflix special love it yeah mm-hmm. i will put it down on wax that she's my favorite stand-up comedian of all time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she should she should name her show wandavision see <laughs> i bet marvel would <laughs> never sue her imagine suing a black lesbian woman in this year right mm. i would love to see it happen <laughs> she could call it she should call it marvel's wandavision and I still this girl, do your thing. Marvel's WandaVision 2. <laughs> Trick the girls into thinking it's season two. And silence. Yeah. They'll cease and desist, cease and desist. There'll be nothing, nothing at the door. I'm sure she will love all these suggestions <laughs> when we give them to her. Uh, <laughs> also, speaking of um, lesbian comedians, uh, Ellen's show is canceled this week. So we're going to talk aye. about that. So many layers of feelings about this. I I find I don't resolve any of them, actually. Yeah. And uh, the LA Times is um, feuding with the alleged creator of Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Uh, There's a scandal in the news. Uh, I love a good old scandal. Well, particularly on the heels of a biopic sort of lionizing this person. But by the Mm -hmm. way, biopics among the least historically accurate manuscripts we have generally speaking so i shouldn't be surprised (laughs) so we'll get all into that as well and we will be right back in 2007 richard montanez began sharing his story with the world It's how in 1992, while he was a janitor at Frito-Lay plant in Rancho Cucamonga, he pitched the Pepsi-Cola CEO Roger Enrico the idea for Flamin' Hot Cheetos. The idea took off. Richard became a star and an executive, and Eva Longoria is set to direct his biopic. The problem, Frito-Lay says that Flamin' Hot Cheetos began development in 1989 under the direction of Lynn Greenfield mm. two years before Enrico became CEO. <gasps> wow. The LA Times just published a long read investigation titled The Man Who Didn't Invent Flamin' <laughs> Hot Cheetos. They have burning Cheetos um, in a GIF 
um, at the top of the article so you know they spent money on it. Here on Webby Award winning Keep It, where we address the hard hitting news, the vital things that need to be talked about. Honestly, I used to put Tabasco sauce in regular Cheetos bags, and I really thought I invented Flaming Hot Cheetos. So if anything, we need to have other conversations about my IP being stolen. I am just baffled. Okay, I'm not saying we, we don't watch biopics and then we learn later, like, oh, John Nash's life in A Beautiful Life was not like that, or and we're never surprised. But how did he think he wouldn't get found out? Like, if he didn't come up with Flamin' Hot Cheetos, the person who came up with Flamin' Hot Cheetos would surely be like, actually, it was fucking me. Here are the, like, here's the write-up of <laughs> Flamin' Hot Cheetos I did in 1989 or whatever. Is this the direction we're going with the story? We're just going to believe the facts. Well, yeah, so here's the thing. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I believe the facts. Oh. Because I will say that this man has been talking about this for years. He's published a book. You know, he's also had um, the support of Al Carey, a Frito-Lay lifer who worked at the company for nearly 40 years and rose to the from the executive suite to the top of the corporate pyramid. He has been the one executive who, over the years, um, has publicly endorsed Richard's version of the events. Mm, well, there's a flaming hot debate in this case. <laughs> and so after the LA Times story came out, you know, um, a lot of sort of Latinx reporters and people in the community online were sort of saying that the article was an attempt to debunk a man's story. And it, it has now become a story about how um, you should document everything in corporate America because the company obviously has no vested interest in making this Mexican janitor a star and the reason why they created Flamin' Hot Cheetos, right? Mm -hmm. But I would also go off the thing that Aida just said. Obviously, people who ain't white been putting Tabasco sauce up in their Cheetos for years, you know? <laughs> and so I feel like whether or not he did create it, it's obviously a thing that, like, some white woman saw, like, some Mexican people doing at one point and was like, well... Let's. We should actually have a brand for it, right? No, yeah. Nobody was in the lab for two years. Like, what should we do? We have Cheetos, <laughs> but we don't know what to do. And they like just added spice and realized that that was like going to be a marketing venture. I just, I don't believe this. I don't understand what the purpose is. Why do you guys want to be the ones that invented this? Like, what? Did, what? Even if this, were, he were lying at a certain point, I would just be like, girl, take that. Girl, take that. You can have that little story. What do you get stand to gain from this? Right. The story angle here is that a woman, Lynn Greenfield, did it. So it's like white women Boo. need our support. Hello, let's <laughs> celebrate that. Growing up, I actually was trying to find out ways to make my Cheetos less spicy. I would try to strip <laughs> each individual Cheeto to get it down to its naked mole rat core. And Boy, that don't surprise me. <laughs> we, we've said before that you can't take Lois eating nowhere <laughs> except McDonald's. <laughs> Get him some chicken nuggets. That's right. And a Sprite, and he's happy. You know what I like dipping a chicken McNugget in? The answer is nothing. What? <laughs> you just eat them raw? Uh, most of the time. Occasionally honey mustard. That's disgusting. I'm going to leave the podcast. That is so vile, Lewis. <laughs> the, uh, I am, where is the flavor? It's like, first of all, fries, chicken nuggets, these are vehicles for sauces. These are not food items you eat alone. Mm. Although I actually would posit McDonald's fries are some of the only fries that I have Ooh. eaten without ketchup. No, that's nasty. Salt is the ultimate condiment. Okay. Everything else, Everything else is for posers, um, people who can't handle the 
the integrity of the food they're eating. I'm interested in the Germanic palate of yours. I want to know. I want right. to know Me too. What, what is lacking, what is what is overworking on the tongue. That those are the things yeah. that I'm interested in. Right. Do you like do you like like kielbasa on <laughs> on things? Well, I, if you grow up in the Chicago area, you're like you have no choice but to enjoy certain sausages. You get mm. used to meat casing just immediately. But I I do hate almost all seafood, uh, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before. Only only sometimes sushi, which I find flavorful in a way that isn't even though it's raw fish, it doesn't really taste fishy to me. Diluted in its way. Hmm. Mm. I didn't know this about you and your mm. palate, so I'm I'm processing a lot. But yeah, I don't know what they be doing up in the white parts of the suburbs in the Midwest because UK come out the Midwest and not like fish, which is wild because we're the last people who should be sourcing fish. Right, you know, no we be we be water frying water. fish, okay, girl. Aida, do they have perch in Nebraska? Yeah, what's coming down the Platte River to you? I want to know. The Platte River. I love fried perch. Okay, <laughs> I was never a catfish person growing up in Milwaukee. There were uh, like a couple restaurants that always had Red Snapper. Red Snapper always had the bomb perch. <laughs> I was back home recently, and the red, there's a red snapper by the house now, but it's not the real red snapper. I know, like, like they had to have sold it to like someone else because the recipe is not there. It's actually not fair that all of these restaurant names have been the same names as the fish themselves. So I've been lost the last thirty seconds. What do you mean? Somebody bought the red snapper. There's a red snapper restaurant, <laughs> but it's not like the red snapper from you know my my days of yore in Milwaukee. Some don't taste right. Mm, mm-hmm. Red Snapper, the Jennifer Lawrence movie with Charlotte Rampling, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, maybe maybe Lynn, maybe Lynn, Miss Lynn Greenfield is working there, and she's changing it up. Well, so that brings us back to this. You know, I I think I'm firmly on the side of I don't know if I believe Frito Lay because I would also posit that they didn't just roll out this recipe like the year that they say they're doing it, right? Like it had to have been developed probably for like a couple years or so before it came, right? And like I would assume that there'd be different recipes for this stuff to get it right. So you think both sides can kind of be right? You're both sidesing the Flaming Hot Cheetos issue? Yes, God, yeah. I just don't even know you at all anymore. You know, it's really complicated, Lewis. <laughs> and uh, I just think that there are, there are two sides here that are wrong. <laughs> That's you know? right, yeah. Everybody can learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of my favorite factually inaccurate biopics over the years. And one that comes to mind is uh, this movie, Julia, from the 70s, which is allegedly the writer Lillian Hellman uh, discussing her so-called real-life relationship with this woman she grew up with who then went and like fought the Nazis and became like anti-war and this like uh, – and eventually in the story – Lillian has to go and find her and help her kind of smuggle money. And it's Jane Fonda and uh, uh, Vanessa Redgrave who won an Oscar for the movie. This woman fucking made up the whole fucking story. They looked it up. (laughs) Lillian Hellman did not go fucking anywhere. And this is a Best Picture nominated movie. (laughs) (laughs) At home typing. That's hilarious. She's like, wouldn't it be cool if I went on a train? Yeah. Lillian Hellman was busy looking for all them foxes in her house. They're so little. I know. I have to. I, here's the thing. Lillian Hellman <laughs> gave us some of the great, you know, um, kind of lesbian lore with like the children's hour. And then now she's a scammer, too. So unfortunately, I mean, to invoke an old meme, we have to stand. <laughs> I feel like if you were a lesbian in her era, like you were always scamming. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she doesn't know how to not lie. 
<laughs> yeah. That's her eternal life curse now. Lying is getting by in the 19, <laughs> early 20th century lesbian universe. Well, speaking of lying and biopics, though, you know what biopic we need of a liar? We need the biopic of um, Dan Mallory, a.k.a. A.J. Finn, who created, quote-unquote created, uh, the story, The Woman in the Window. Oh. Which, if you sat through that this weekend... Congrats, because I sure couldn't get through it. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I'm sure I will enjoy Amy Adams doing what she do. Amy Adams, um, which is, y- yeah, you know what, girl, I, I flip back and forth on whether or not I stand her. Uh, I think I think it's time to give it up. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I, I'm sympathetic to that take because I, I don't like movies in which she is just fretting the whole time, and this is a fretter, Amy Adams. I prefer her, like, ballsy. Like, Amy Adams in The Fighter is my favorite version. Mm, mm, yes. Or holding that dry race board in The Arrival. That movie was popping. No, there's no movie like that. Denis Villeneuve, we stand. Yes. I'm an Amy Adams enchanted, leap year, like, quiet mm. rom-com, just sweetness embodying mm, everything that her mm, face okay. does naturally. Um, mm. I don't like when she steps out of that role. <laughs> leap year, though. You took a hard swing with that one, but I, res- I respect it. We know I'm a Leap Year fan. I think it made like top 10 movies one time, mm. like of the decade for me. So <laughs> but we know my taste is questionable. So let's let's carry on. <laughs> but I will say that the the man who wrote The Woman in the Window, the book, is a liar and a scammer. Right. Ooh. Like like there was a New Yorker story about how like he was like invented like a brother and like, you know, like faked his death and like uh there was all sorts of scams, you know, to like brain make cancer he lied famous. about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To make himself uh famous and to make this book become a bestseller. That story is what I want the movie of, yes. not you know, the adaptation of this this whack book. That guy, it's a case like the Elizabeth Holmes bad blood situation where there's something so apparently phony about this person from the outside, seemingly, all the time. Like, he's not a convincing liar. He's, like, hyperactive and seemingly <laughs> inventing details on the spot. So it's not like he's cunning. But by the way, we are getting a biopic of that with Jake Gyllenhaal. Ooh. Oh, we are? Yeah, I just discovered this, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? That's going to be good. Yes. I need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give you that Nightcrawler, that Nightcrawler vibe. Which I just recently rewatched, and girl, the way his beady little eyes <laughs> be moving. It's one of my favorite films. It's good. Yeah. It's so good. That movie is so confounding to me because it is from Dan Gilroy, mm. and I'm hard-pressed to find another Dan Gilroy film that I like. <laughs> no, right. Roman J. Israel is was excruciating to watch. And we mm. gave Denzel a nomination for that. Velvet Buzzsaw was... Oh, Velvet Buzzsaw was horrible. Velvet Buzzsaw was a... Was a joke that you tell at a party that was stretched into a film. Yes, I, and by the way, I was my girl Renee Russo, who I want the best for. I kept like putting my head, in my hands in that film, and also yet another case of Tony Collette taking a weird movie that has no real role for her, and like it, I'm sorry, it reminds me of Knives Out, where she gives her my least favorite Tony Collette performance. But we're not going to get into a Knives Out debate mm. right now. Move it along. <laughs> but I do support Dan Gilroy putting his wife Renee Russo up in film, definitely, because she's one of the best parts of Nightcrawler. Like, I just I just need to know, like, wh- what was the sauce that made that such a great movie, you mm, know? I see. Like, because it was his directorial debut, and since then, we've had Robin J. Israel and Velvet mm. Buzzsaw, and they were not up to snuff. Mm. Well, I'll say about that movie, about Nightcrawler, it's got to be one of the definitive 
LA movies of the past decade. Like it really reminds me of my lived experience of being here, the way it like winds into the hills and like the way it take like takes in LA highways and stuff. Like it's not glossy at all, and yet it's also glamorous in its own way. Mm-hmm. So um and disgusting. You know, it has everything in it. Yeah. I mean, and like it's we, when we had Riz on the show, we talked about how we loved him and that I think that is really just one of my fucking favorite movies. Yeah. Of the past decade and I I don't know what all came together to make such an excellent film that has not happened in his next two films, but I'm hopeful. I also, I, by the way, once upon a time, I would have been very angry that Jake Gyllenhaal has spent all his time being kind of overactive kooks. And now because of Nightcrawler, I'm excited for it though. I have to tell you, didn't love it in Oakja and I didn't love it in Velvet Buzzsaw either. Mm. So I'm looking for a little bit of a redemptive moment for him. Because a part of me still wants him to be broke back, Jake. But anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought he was amazing in, in Spider-Man. Mm. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I thought he was amazing in Spider-Man. I think that the two recent Spider-Man movies have had amazing villain turns. He and Michael Keaton um, were great in both films. Um, so let's celebrate that. I feel like those movies, if I'm going to see them, it has to be all about the villain performance because that's the only sort of X factor you get. Like, I'm not ever uh, absorbed in the charm of the whoever the hero is, and it, we're always supposed to be so charmed by them. But a villain, yeah, that I can kind of get into. I don't mind Jake Gyllenhaal entering the, like, hallway of the kooky actor. I Like, the Tilda Swintons. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I feel like mm-hmm. he belongs. I really enjoy him. I think in Brokeback Mountain, his eyes are just too large to be gay. <laughs> He's just too too excited mm. about the, the things around him. <laughs> you can't be gay if you got them big mm-hmm. eyes. You oh, but now we're back to much. Amy Adams and her bad work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got them big eyes, <laughs> then I know you're a heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> gay people don't got them big eyes. <laughs> Do you... <laughs> Do you think he's like stealing Cillian Murphy's bag? Wow. Every day. <laughs> you, you said something great just now. Um, I worry about things like that. I do think actors tend to replace other actors in pop culture. The one I always bring up is if you watch Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in The Color of Money, you think, who is this fucking awesome, brassy, smart person? And then one year later, Julia Roberts comes around mm. and she has the same silhouette. I'm like, oh, we just now there's no room for Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. We have a Julia Roberts. So I think about this kind of thing constantly. Mm. I feel like mm. we've also talked about how Miles Teller could just replace all of the like brunette men <laughs> working right now. Yeah. I would be totally satisfied. He could. Well, right. And he's sp- specifically a Shia LaBeouf proxy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And we, we are in the market for one and of we those. Need, so. Yeah, we need, we, <laughs> we need a replacement for sure. I want to ask you all about a really random Jake Gyllenhaal film, though. Has anyone else seen Southpaw? No. Well, Is he this... super hot in that? Oh, I'm thinking of Jarhead. He's super hot. <laughs> That's the boxer mm. one. That's the boxer one with um, Rachel McAdams, which mm-hmm. who is my other Amy Adams just replacement as well. So, <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> really yeah. are just the swaps. I just want to point out that that film was a Harvey Weinstein film, and Rita Ora has a brief role in it, and he well, that's t- he called her one of the acting finds of the decade. <gasps> Oh, <laughs> and yet she still hasn't been found. Period. So, <laughs> Chuck Taika Waititi's house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> flaming hot Cheetos. Oh yeah, I'll still see it. 
Yeah. What side? What side? What side are you on? Yeah, you're not about to ruin my summer plans. I'm make. I'm watching that yeah. Longoria film. That's the movie I'm yeah. here to see. Okay, I cannot wait to watch an Ava Longoria film, her film directorial debut, because you know, in the end, that Latinos <laughs> will be the real heroes <laughs> of the story. Yes, <laughs> just yes. like they were in the election. Uh, uh, a callback <laughs> to a, a darker, darker. Oh, time. she did tweet that, didn't she? No, she, she said, said that, that on, on TV, on, in real life, with her face attached to it. She, she, <laughs> she put it on wax. Okay. <laughs> I, I've got to write the biopic of reduced <laughs> fat weed thins, though. I think that's in my future. Oh, Lewis. how did this happen? How <laughs> did we get that signature mix of sweet and salty? Are those the only things that you can eat? That's right. With your flavor palette, <laughs> and exactly the color I like eating too, like a, a hint of beige, but not really any color at all. I think you are a reduced fat wheat man. I feel the same way. Yeah. Not even the hardiness of a Triscuit. I think I'm a chewy um, Chips Ahoy. Mm. Oh, sure. Mm. A thousand yeah. chips delicious. Yeah, or the ones, or the ones that they used to put them like um, the like Keebler, uh, the Keebler ones with like the M and M's in them. Mm. You know, okay. the, like the, the real faggy ones with the rainbow on the cover. I think as I mature and as I learn about myself, I'm I'm slowly going from a Dorito to a Harvest Cheddar Sun Chip. I think that is what's happening for me. Oh, come mm. on, Grace. I think yeah. so. Yeah, girl. Let me tell you, Sun Chips. Are the best chips. Oh, they're so good. Ever oh, they're so good. Thank you. You said something crazy, but I do love them. Yeah. <laughs> a plain sun chip will fuck me up like nobody has ever done. Mm-mm-mm. The way they're crimped, the way they're crimped for our pleasure. Yes. <laughs> crimped chips. They're just, ooh, and something about them tastes just like you eat a whole bag and you still feel like maybe you did something healthy. <laughs> yeah. They're like light as air. Also, yeah. by the way, you walk into a subway, you don't feel great about being at a subway. Yeah. And then you see the sun chips there and you're like, wait a minute, I'm home. I love this. I'm making good decisions. I'm Subway Hive. I sometimes am. You give me some teriyaki, I'll stick around. I am Subway Hive. And I love like the, you know, those Instagram accounts like Velvet Coke and stuff that always show um, old photos of celebrities. Uh, or it might have been Think 1994. One of those two. Two are my faves. They had like a photo series recently of like celebrities walking with subway bags. <laughs> and I, you could, you could always catch me with a subway bag. I eat subway like once a week. Oh, and there's no sandwich in it for me. It's just 20 white macadamia nut cookies. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's no sandwich. <laughs> I always get that oven roasted Italian BLT. Sorry, the BMT. Mm, mm-hmm. What's the M? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you should start asking. You should Girl, ask. I'm not Mr. Subway. <laughs> I, I, I truly don't know what it means, but it's good. They're consistent. Yeah, yeah. Subway, sponsor us. Or don't. We want a Webby. I'll write the Subway story and about how Jared almost took down the company. <laughs> there you go. Just set him up as a villain. That's what they need. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right, Jake Gyllenhaal, let's talk. <laughs> or Miles Teller, let's talk. <laughs> when we're back, Wanda Sykes joins us. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand. That was when I carried you in my barefoot dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. 
With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today is a comedy legend, a stand-up actress, writer, and voiceover artist. She is one of the funniest people to truly ever grace your television screen. And she is currently the creator and star of The Upshaws on Netflix. Please welcome Wanda Sykes to keep it. Hello. What a lovely intro. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we really like to... Tell our guests how much we love them from the outset. And sometimes we mean it, but this time we really mean it. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Also, one of our co-hosts, Aida, uh, had to go to her TV writing job, um, but she wanted us to make sure that she lets you know how much she adores you so much. I'm sorry I missed her. No, Wanda, my first question is, we're so used to stand-ups starring on sitcoms and stuff that we I think take for granted that they're not the same skill set at all are you at all shocked to find yourself being an actor or is it something you always wanted to do in addition to doing comedy um you know when I started out doing stand-up I never said and this is gonna parlay into doing acting gigs you know it was my goal was I just wanted to be you know known as one of the funniest comics uh out there and to be able to support myself Maybe, you know, get to the level I'm playing theaters around the country and all. So the acting thing kind of fell into my lap, I guess, from doing the Chris Rock show. Uh, I was writing on that Mm -hmm. and they, you know, just put me in front of the camera for a bit. It, It was a monetary thing because we had a crew for the day. We were shooting some stuff and we had like four hours left and the producer was like, look, you guys got anything we can shoot really quick that's maybe in around the office and uh, and they had this bit, Video Mama. And it was like, Wanda, you're going to do it. And I'm like, I, okay. You know, and from there, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it was there. It was basically me pretending I'm yelling at kids watching the, the video, basically. It was like, that was the bit to pop in a, a video and have someone watch your kids for you. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was the catapult to everyone going, oh, put, let's put Wanda in everything. So... To answer your question, which has taken me a long, very long time to do, I am not surprised. It, it was how things were were going. 
to end up in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, going from a stand-up comedian to working on uh, this late night show, which was on HBO at the time, too. What would you say that sort of environment felt like as opposed to writing on shows or creating your own shows sort of currently? Because, I mean, we know the late night space has changed so much, but um, even the late night, late 90s, space was so different especially on hbo because you weren't doing you know what the regular networks were doing you know like hbo was a bit more adult it was a bit more hot then like with with the chris rock show it was basically one guy giving you notes and he was the funniest guy you know <laughs> in the room it's his mm -hmm. show and they were great notes you know, so that was pretty much the only thing that, you know, uh, as far as that you, that was a, a obstacle or whatever, which really wasn't. It just was making everything better, The you know, the notes that you would get from Chris. And, but the, and the Netflix gig, the show that we're doing now, like, I can't even compare that to network mm -hmm. because it's kind of like the same thing. Like, we went in and said, hey, this is the show we want to make. Mm -hmm. And Netflix pretty much said, okay. And the only notes that they have, have given us has just been just like to clarify something or you guys do what you, you know, we'll leave that up to you. Do what you want to do. Doing a network network show. It's a lot of notes mm -hmm. and it's also, you know, they want to cater to the audience more. It's not, it's not about what mm -hmm. your vision was or, or, or the show you're trying to do. It's like, we think the audience would really want to see this and they, then they push you to that direction. How much does being alive still make you want to do stand up? Like, do you respond to like horrible news, uh, you know, in the world and think this is something I've got to talk about on a stage still? Like, does that instinct ever go away or has it morphed at all? Um, it doesn't go away. But, you know, so, sometimes I, I had moments where like during the Trump administration where like I didn't even want to go out and, and do jokes. I didn't want to be funny because I didn't think people deserve to laugh. <laughs> you think I am. I'm not gonna goddamn make you laugh. You don't deserve to laugh. You all are idiots. What are you doing? I'm I'm so pissed. I can't even. I'm, I don't even feel like being funny. But then there's times I go, okay, it's my job to make people laugh to help them get through this craziness. But now I'm excited about going back out. I I haven't been up in since the you know since March since the pandemic. So. Uh, it's, it's, I'm excited and terrified to go back out. I think a lot about stand-ups during this time just because I feel like there, there really is something personally gratifying for them about doing what they do. And the Zoom version of whatever they do, it, I just don't think satisfies that urge at all or it would seem to me not to be uh, nearly as satisfying. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's probably equally as satisfying just sitting around talking to your friends and cracking up and, you know, making jokes. I, <laughs> yeah, I, the Zoom thing, nah, doesn't work for me. Speaking about uh, the Upshaws now, what was your uh, sort of kernel that made you be like, uh, this is exactly what I want to do? And did you have, um, did you have like Mike Epps and like Kim Fields in mind? Or were these people that you approached after you sort of had the idea? What's funny is Mike approached me. Mike Mike started all of this. Mm. Yeah, and they said, hey, Mike Epps wants to meet with you about doing a show. I, in my mind, said, oh, shit, what the hell? <laughs> do I really want to be messing with Mike Epps? What the? And I, I like Mike a lot. I love Mike. I've known him for a, a very long time, you know, doing, doing stand-up, bumping to each other in the clubs and all. 
But my mind really wasn't like, ooh, let's sit down and write a sitcom for me and Mike Epps, you know? Mm -hmm. But when I met with Mike and he he, was, he said, look, I, I want to do like the Black Roseanne. I want to do uh, a show about, you know, about a black family in the Midwest. You know, they got problems and stuff, you know? And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? This is a, this is a good idea. Because that that show's not out there, and I mm -hmm. and we started talking about Norman Lear shows. Because I told him, I said, "Look, whatever show we do, it has to say something." You know, like I'm from Norman Lear school, and and we we started talking and about all of that, and he was on board with it, and you know, and I I told him, I said, "Look, I want to draw from from your life. You know, you you know, you have a lot of kids, and and not from the same uh, mother. So we're gonna that's that's gonna be a jumping off point for your character." Um, I said, it's, it's got to be messy. Let's make this show real life, you know? And he was into it. So from there, I just wanted to keep everything authentic. I, I want I want people to watch the show, no matter who you are, and go, I know that guy. You know, the, that guy's like my cousin. That guy's like, you know, or I know her, you know, or I, I want it to, to be very relatable and familiar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it's set in Indiana, uh, and I'm from Milwaukee. Lewis is from Illinois. Um, and I have family that grew up in, you know, in Elkhart. And I truly remember too around, I think on this show, you know, around like the era when, um, Roseanne came back, we were sort of talking about the idea of, um, when, you know, catering to an audience, ABC, a whole thing was about like, we need to cater to people in America. But, you know, during the Trump administration, it was, they would always think working class people in America are just white people, you know, mm -hmm. who voted for Trump. Right, and it's yeah. nice to see a show that is working class black people, you know, because right. we weren't voting for Trump. <laughs> uh, but we still have those same jobs uh, and same experiences. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I thought it was important to show that. That, hey, you know, yeah, there, there are black people in the, you know, in those, in those areas too. And what they do is it's like they just make a shift and put them all in the city, in the, in the urban areas instead of identifying them where they are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to ask you about playing Moms Mabley on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I don't know that I would instinctively put you in that role, but you really seem to relish it. And I wondered if it was a particular thrill to get to do that. Oh, my God, Louis. Moms Mabley is everything to me. When I was a kid, you know, watching... Uh, Hate to date myself, but y'all know I'm old. Um, uh, you know, it's Ed, Ed Sullivan show and and the Smothers Brothers and oh yeah, Comedy Hour and all. And moms, whenever Moms Mabley was on, I just lit up. So yeah, she definitely like inspired me, and I, I know I wouldn't be doing stand up or a comedian if if it hadn't been for her. But so and so when I got this part, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I I get to play Moms Mabley, and then. It was, we're also doing it, shooting it at the Apollo. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Now, Mom's Mabley at the Apollo, and it's on a show that is a, a hit show, a great show. And, and I, it was just, uh, it, it was just, it just blew my mind that I got to do it. I just wanted to make sure I, I got it right. And my mother told me I had been playing Mom's Mabley since I was a little kid, that I would walk around the house, you know, <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the dust rag on my head and all, so... Yeah, it was definitely was a. It was just so thrilling to do. I hope I get the same opportunity to play like Jim J. Bullock or something. Oh. I, I mean, like I want someone to reach out to me and you know make me a queer a queer <laughs> icon of another kind. That's the dream. I love that. I love that idea. <laughs> 
Uh, the bunk beds. Which show was that when he was in the bunk bed? Oh, Too Close for Comfort. Too Close for Comfort. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was a show that was, we were literally just talking about like Nick at Night reruns earlier on this show. And I think Too Close for Comfort was definitely, a sh- not a Nick at Night one, but one of them like 2 a.m. Uh, sitcoms that was always on when I was staying up too late. And then somehow through middle school, it was like I ended up seeing every episode of Too Close for Comfort. Right. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed with Norman Lear sitcoms myself. I'm a big fan of the original One Day at a Time. Do you have a favorite Norman Lear show? Mm. I think All in the Family was the jumping off point. Yeah, I think All in the Family. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, good times. And But, but Sanford and Son is like my, I love Sanford and Son. And, that's, and I think that's the, the Mike Epps and myself, our, you know, role on the show, the, the brother-in-law, sister-in-law fight. I definitely, you know, picked up something from on Esther and Fred with that. Oof. Yeah, I I mean, Sanford and Son was definitely a classic for me, and I feel like at some point I discovered Mary Hartman oh, as a yeah. kid too, and <laughs> I loved, you know, the concept of doing, like, when I found it all on DVD, I loved the concept of doing, like, a daily soap opera back in the 70s as a nighttime comedy. Yeah, that was great. I love that show. Uh, Mary Kay Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, She's been so great recently, too. She was on uh, Maria Bamford's show, uh, Lady Dynamite. She was fabulous on that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. Yeah. Another great actor in a sick. I was just thinking recently that people underestimate how good Ellen was as an actress on The Ellen Show. And it's like, again, it's like acting is not the same thing as stand up. It's so weird to me when people can do both. So I want to re congratulate you for that. Why, thank you. But you're right. It, it totally is a, you know, a different um, skill set. That's, I think that's why I love the doing the show in front of a live audience because then at least it feels a little more natural. You know, mm-hmm. you get that that audience reaction right there. So that helps. When you filmed this, was it before the pandemic? Was there an audience or no? We, we filmed five. The first three was in front of a, a live audience. And then things started to get a little COVID-y. Mm-hmm. So we did two weeks <laughs> without an audience. And then by then, it, we, we were in full-blown pandemic. So we had to shut down. Oh, damn. Well, I also want to ask you, uh, you since you played so many roles in tr- truly too many things for us to count that we've uh, had faves of. What is a role that you feel like you are surprised has um, lasted so long in that people are constantly like asking you about that movie? You know, it's people like, oh, this movie or this TV show, like which one are you like shocked that people still bring up? Because for me, I would say I'm constantly thinking about Monster-in-Law. I was going to say the same thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, people still talk about monster law. They love it. Uh, they, I get fix your hair, you look like a damn cockatoo. I get, I get that a lot. Uh, and, oh, you know one, one I get that like it's like wow, okay, I didn't see that coming. It was from uh, Down to Earth, the Chris Rock movie. Mm. Have, yeah, yes. people run up and go, uh, I'm the paid, not the maid. I don't know, they love that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I get that. I was a big Down to Earth fan because uh, I was uh, a fan of the original um, film, too. So, um, yeah, it's a great role. I mean, too many roles for us to even mention, Wanda. I mean, it's been an honor to like watch you on TV for years and to like have you here um, on the show with us, too. Oh, well, thank you. See, I needed this. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> so funny. I talked, my mom called me the other day. She's like... Uh, yeah, I watched I watched the Netflix show and uh, you know, remember that show you did the the very first one you did the uh, 
when you were in D.C.? I'm like, what, Wanda at Large? Yeah, I like that one better. I like that one. <laughs> that one was nice. That one was nice. This one, y'all cursing and stuff. I, ooh, I don't know about this. <laughs> I'm like, it's number one TV show streaming on Netflix right now. But she's, she likes the one that got canceled. <laughs> Wanda at Large was hilarious. So, I yes, do it was. say though, because that is uh that aired when I was in high school. Uh and I would say that was the era where um I was in theater at the time, but I loved television. So I used to have the VHS recording all the shows that I wanted to like um watch that I couldn't see right after school. And I feel like I'm one of the only people who probably back home in Milwaukee still has VHS tapes of old Wanda at large episodes. <laughs> I'm sure you are correct. <laughs> I want to give a shout out though to Wanda Does It, which was a show on Comedy Central with a few episodes where you just like took jobs. Yes. And yes, that show was so fucking funny. I hope it was a blast to do because it was hilarious. It was. We had a great time, especially when we went out to the chicken ranch. We went to the whorehouse. That was funny. Yes. That was a good time. That <laughs> was fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Wanda. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, congrats on the Upshaws, which is on Netflix now. People need to watch it so it stays number one. Yes. Please. Please. If you've watched it, watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> just just leave it on. Right. Uh, and then you leave the house. Just let it play all day. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> oh, also, I want to point I, I wanted to mention, too, before you go, too, uh, it was an honor writing for you. I was one of the writers on Q-Force. Oh, wow. That was so much fun to do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. We did that, and then it, like the pandemic hit halfway through us writing it, and I'm sure it was weird doing like voice stuff for a show in the pandemic, but you know, I think probably by the time you did it, you were able to go into a studio to do it. No, I did it from from my bedroom. From a okay, yeah, they sent this like portable sound booth, so it's it was basically like sticking your head in an oven and recording <laughs> from inside of your oven. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad it worked out, uh, and I've I've seen up to my episode, which was number seven, and it's great. Great, and you're great in it. So. Um, so much fun doing that. Very cool. Well, have a great day. Well, thank you. You too. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Last Wednesday, talk show host and lesbian Rita Repulsa reincarnation, Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> announced the end of her show after 19 seasons on air. Rather than cite the rampant sexual and emotional abuse that was fostered on her set, she claimed the departure was due to boredom and a desire to find a new challenge. Which I'm not going to say that's untrue. Like people clinging to that quote, it's like, what, she's supposed to be thrilled by the gig? I don't know. Um, yeah. She's interviewed Jesse Tyler Ferguson 71 times. The 72nd <laughs> isn't going to be the banger. I'm sure she's bored. <laughs> 
I find it incredibly challenging to get white woman to dance on beat, and she has never succeeded. So I don't think that she has met that challenge. I think she's quitting early because she can't handle it. I don't know how to feel about Ellen. I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. It's difficult watching her because I'm so nostalgically. I've imprinted once again on her. But um, she's gone through so many different phases. Mm-hmm. We got Ernest Lesbian who worked so hard to get our own show. We got a Goofy Dancer. Then we got Annoying Dancer. And then we got Workplace Monster. And now now I'm just not, I'm not sure how to feel. Yeah. You know, I think I may have taken a pivot back to Stan because... <laughs> I don't know. I will say the woman always looked tired in the past few years. And like, if this means that Ellen can take a nap and get a refresh, then I'm all for it. I mean, during the quarantine, I thought that like she would have come out into this season, right? Looking at least like refreshed. She got her big ass mansion, mm. estate. Okay, I know that she's getting some pamper in here. I'm like, girl, you constantly look like you were being held hostage on your own show. My whole take on the what has come out about the Ellen show is that the news of it, which is to say like, all right, there are men who behaved terribly who were then fired is not the same thing as Ellen was mean. Mm -hmm. So I feel like people took a certain satisfaction out of the news that came out of the toxicity of her work environment. That doesn't actually match the rumors. Everybody was so excited to confirm. Mm -hmm. So in a way I'm like, Mm -hmm. I feel like, People in general just want to take Ellen down, which uh, on which I am on her side. Mm. So you think there's a concerted effort? Because she did come out with conspiracy theories saying that like yeah. it doesn't happen like this. It seems coordinated. Like she's acting like there's Ellen Anon <laughs> um, trying to take her down. And then I saw Savannah Guthrie interviewed her, and I thought that turned me back into dubiousness about Ellen because she said things like. I guess I shouldn't have made my brand be nice to people because then like, it's all going to come back to me. It's like, well, on the one hand, I do think there's a certain sector of people who resent that a woman could be nice-seeming and then any news to the contrary feels like a betrayal to them because you know everybody thinks women should be their mom or their girlfriend, like comforting to them at all times and everything else is a betrayal. So again, I'm on Ellen's side there, but I felt like her answers to her questions were surprisingly narcissistic. It's like she kept referring to herself as the nice lady. Mm. And she kept pointing to her own brand as opposed to her own actions. And I thought that was surprising. Yeah. She sounded like an influencer apologizing yes. on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Like focusing on the brand and not what she's done. Maybe the wildest part about that interview was well, when she went into how she said her therapist said that it is very rare for an individual to suffer two public humiliations in their lifetime. She's talking about, you know, obviously when she came out and was shunned. And now she's talking about this. Uh, and I was like, that seems a bit much, girl. Because here's the thing. People were taking pleasure in, obviously, a takedown of Ellen because they perceive her to be mean. Yes, you know. But also, the behavior that happened on your show was wild. And the fact that you just sort of, like, ignored it for years and let it happen is not a good look. And she's never really truly apologized for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always been like, I guess I was too nice. I was the nice lady. I let this stuff happen. And I thought, like, all was good in the kingdom. 
It's like, girl, what 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 was happening at work? Ellen, I'm sure Ellen is exhausted speaking on this issue multiple times. So sometimes I like excuse her for not being emphatic in her apologies. But Lewis, you're totally right. She sounded narcissistic. She was giving me like the Trumpian way of deflecting blame when you're just like this nebulous, like pie in the sky person is no longer wanted me to be on air. And she just kept saying that. Like she's like, it felt orchestrated. It felt like it was an attack on me and then an attack on the show. And I just know somebody didn't want me to be on the show. But that ignores all of the claims of people who were on your staff that called you toxic and phony and hypocritical and like a liar and rude. And the, the examples of not necessarily microaggressions that happened from Ellen, but horrible things that were happening on her show. It's hard because I have empathy and I understand that to be Ellen is already a difficult job. I would be a bitch probably too. But also the way you're deflecting is not, it feels like a telltale sign of somebody who don't want to really claim what happened. Well, it reminds me of the Kevin Hart interview, which I will always, you know. Which Ellen facilitated. like it's the <laughs> nail in her coffin, you mm-hmm. know, because Kevin Hart said some homophobic shit and then didn't want to apologize for it. And then she brought him on her show to basically say that it was an orchestrated attack against him. Yeah. The same thing that she's saying now, right? Saying, well, he's my friend. I know he doesn't hate gay people. And I'm like, girl, you're completely missing the point here and retreating into people shouldn't attack my rich friends. Yeah, and I I feel like for me it was the photos with George Bush. (laughs) Mm. We were just reminded again that Ellen is just so ridiculously rich. I think made $84 million last year alone. Pulls in like $25 million from her YouTube, $50 million from her show. Makes so much money that I don't even listen to people who make over... Six figures, okay? So (laughs) how am I supposed to listen to people who are making millions of dollars? You're so tapped out of reality. I mean, well, in the case of the George W. Bush thing and in the Kevin Hart thing, the whole be kind thing becomes just be instantly forgiving because who cares? You know what I mean? That's when you get, like, Mm -hmm. unchecked from reality. That said, do you remember the part of the Savannah Guthrie interview where Savannah kind of slid in what struck me as an emotional question about why Ellen scares people so much? And she goes, she goes, why do you do that? She goes, no, these were real tears talking about herself on the show. It got me thinking about how I think there's a class of celebrity that is fascinated with Ellen and what they have to do while they're around Ellen. Like, I think people, when they go on that show, have like, like their heart drops a little bit because they know they have to serve her and that's an unusual position to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that they're in, inevitably about to get fucked with. Yeah. A grown man <laughs> jumping out of his seat because a clown just popped out of the, the, the chair between them, like the table between them. I think I think there's a, a weird power dynamic. Or she'll make you listen to a new Justin Timberlake song, unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying. Uh, typical Gitmo tactics. Yes, that's right. It does make me wonder what era we're going into of celebrity now because you even mentioning Justin right mm-hmm. there's the era of the celebrity who was extra famous because they were constantly on her show right and so they're sort of in that Ellen sphere of people who were unimpeachable and like really nice nice guy persona shit for a minute right and then a lot of that came crumbling like Kevin Hart uh the Justin Timberlake stuff where people were finally like um yo are you going to talk about what you did to Brittany and Janet? You know, and of course it was the documentary about the white woman, um, Brittany, um, <laughs> still my queen. But you know, it was the documentary that finally got him to like have to issue an apology, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like in an era where people were like, well, "We don't fuck with him. We don't fuck with him. We don't fuck with her." What is rising up? Will it just be new people, new gods 
for us to knock down from Mount Olympus eventually. Yeah. Cancel culture. My God. <laughs> Joe Rogan, we are, we are in agreement, sweetie. Uh, no. But, you know, there's like Kelly Clarkson, you know, whose show is doing better in the ratings. And she's been nothing but nice since American Idol. There's nary like a story about her being mean. No. She's the unusual blend of somebody who is constantly nice in a way that is kind of demanded yeah. of that time slot and personality. And yet time feels like she actually is showing her real personality, I think. Mm-hmm. Black people like Kelly Clarkson, which means it has to be true. Mm-hmm. I think we as a people just don't like longevity. Like the same mm. way you sick of seeing that coworker in the office multiple times, no matter how nice they are. It's just like you again you again and we ultimately will make up stories or just find faults in them until they they fall until they fall and it doesn't help that they all congregate together like an ellen and a justin timberlake and a kevin hart all at crafty talking about their billions that's true that's true lewis will be gone by episode 200 (laughs) (laughs) we've been orchestrating an attack on him and we're trying to get it figured out as we speak i'm looking at my balcony right now a grappling hook could appear at any minute yeah I do want to point out the one comment uh, that truly sent me to the moon. (laughs) I just feel like there's something more I could be doing. I care about the environment. I care about animals. (laughs) I care about design and furniture. (laughs) Girl. Right after those two other things? Oh, my God. Also, you know who always has a passion for design? Extremely rich women. Yeah. Barbara Streisand, you get into any interview with her, she's talking about beige pillows before you know it. I just want to point out that I have tried to watch Ellen's The Next Great Designer oh, right. on HBO Max, and I usually love an HBO Max reality show. I could not get through it. Mm. Now, is she on it? Because you know what? The reality shows need to have a dose of drama. I don't care how good the design is. Mm. I was just bored. Not here for the exceptions. And also, it's a, like one of the judges is Scott Foley. Girl, who? Who's just her friend who she says likes design as much as me. Exactly. Jake from Scandal. Oh. Yeah. Buzz with Ellen? And on a show? Oh, boy, from Felicity. Oh. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is my friend, and he likes design, too. So he's going to be a judge and like do like jokey bits with me in episodes. Girl, if that is how you are fostering your design, you can keep that. <laughs> I'm just excited for the post-Ellen, which woman in comedy is going to get a television show and kind of fill this position as our daily beloved Tiffany Haddish in talks. But there's multiple options, I feel. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if Tiffany is. Mm. I'm ready for Tiffany Haddish after Bad Trip. That's the best thing she's done recently since Girl's Trip for me. Mm-hmm. But Bad Trip was, she was so good in that. Oh, you didn't like her in that Ike Barinholtz film <laughs> where she plays the black wife <laughs> to a white man who's trying to solve racism? You didn't like that? You know what? I love Ike. I, I love oh, me Ike. too. Um, but I, I, I told him that it was it was very jarring seeing him make out with Tiffany Haddish. Uh-uh. I disliked it. <laughs> disliked it. Disliked it. I did my very, very first Hollywood table read with Ike Barinholtz for a pilot he was trying to sell, and John Stamos touched my back, and then I didn't shower for like a week. <laughs> That's a real story. Ooh, you win. Welcome Thank to the you. business. Hollywood. I would love Kiki to have the show. She plays too many characters, though. Right. No, no, no. Like, his Nicki Minaj level. Like, like, there's, oh. like I, don't, I, don't, I can't keep track of, like, all the different characters that she has. Like, th- this isn't all that. No, she's, like, laugh-in level. It's zany zanes. Yeah. 
But you know what? I appreciate people with energy. We're coming into a tired generation, so I'm going to just appreciate it. Yeah, everyone is exhausted. If, if, if people have, if he don't have energy and it's not through drugs, right? come with it. Please. Come on, Gilda Radner. Yeah. I have to take speed before I do this podcast. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Our comedians are, we are in a sloth-like comedy phase. Even I've noticed amongst my peers, it's all like serious. I have all these moralistic thoughts and I'm going to impose them on you uh, in a menacing way instead of just, you know, give me mm. Jim Carrey face. Girl, be ugly. Girl, be ugly. It's a lot of men, you know? Mm. You know, it's the sort of like Hassan Minaj era, you know, of the like, it all. everyone coming post that Jon Stewart, like... I need to tell jokes, but sort of be topical mm-hmm. and identity politics. <laughs> nice comedy, like will burn you out because you know John Mulaney losing marriages and you know being with <laughs> Olivia Munn. So <laughs> that really is a strange situation. I just like where are the nice people can't survive, right? <laughs> Once you are too nice for too long, it gets exhausting. Things I've been asked to not speak about publicly is the John Mulaney situation, but I can scream. I can go. Ah! <laughs> I just want to point out the funniest tweet that was said to me about that situation was Olivia Munn stays with a man. <laughs> that's, Period. That's, she keep them. She keep them. Wow. Ugh, okay. They're like beanie babies. Uh, do you know what I feel like most comedians are like right now is the Hannah Einbinder character in Hacks, which is millennial, um, a little burnt out, a little narcissistically oriented when it comes to comedy, but smart. And I feel like we do need a little bit more of a burst of the old school Gene Smart, like I'm here with the pizzazz and the hard biting humor. Yeah. Even if it goes a little broad. Mm. As much as we love Rami, as much as we love, you know, the Hannah Gadsby's, I'm beyond the um the I'm thinking a lot. <laughs> I that's why I do enjoy watching Z Way because Z Way is giving us goofy. She's giving us smart. She's giving us politics, mm-hmm. but she's doing it in like a really eccentric way. And I look, we love to see black girls being goofy. We love to see that. I do. I do. Z-Way is not making up her personality. It is very authentically that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she mm-hmm. also gave me a blurb that I said I was going to use on a, my eventual book. She called me the Met Gala of pop culture curation. Oh, well. And elaborate? Well, about how like she was like, you, you know, you curate jokes and things and then mm-hmm. other people use them. And it was so sweet. She is a supportive queen. Ira Wintour. Do you think she meant tacky and forgotten by Wednesday? Or <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, okay. <laughs> Everyone's trying to get in, but I am hosted by Timothy Chalamet and Billie Eilish, okay? Okay, okay. okay. Period. <laughs> but also, I fucking love her show. Uh, and also, shout out to Hacks, um, because I also love... Um, Jen Statsky, Paul Downs, and Lucia Anello. So um, mm-hmm. congrats to them on a really funny TV show. And Gene Smart. Of course. Who stays on an HBO show. Please. There we <laughs> go. Uh, Paul Downs, by the way, um, Paul Newman level blue eyes. Hot. It's uh, a lot for me. Yes. And He's gorgeous. It's a lot He's gorgeous. It's a lot for me. It's a lot for me, Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Not another Billie Eilish Ocean Eyes reference. She might just be <laughs> the through line of our show. Could be. Yeah. Congrats to Paul on his eyes. Woof. And the show. <laughs> there we go. Uh, good luck, Ellen. 
can't wait till you come on Keep It to promote sustainable furniture line where you do cooking on flatwares with things. And yeah, you, I don't know, Ellen, but it's gay. <laughs> but it will be gay. Subject us to a game of games. Yeah. I don't know. Here we are supporting Jamila and Ellen this week. I don't know what's happening. That's what happens when you win a Webby. <laughs> you lose your mind. You really truly sell out. <laughs> this Webby's going directly to our fucking heads. <laughs> And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Aida. Yes. What's your Keep It, girl? Oh, I'm mad. I'm mad this week. Mm. <laughs> I know I'm pissed off every week, but I'm exceptionally mad this week because... Let it out, honey. Put it in the book. The people have come for someone I, I hold very close and dear to my heart, Miss Lacey Mosley. Mm. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Fuck these people. Are you fucking kidding me Lacey just got cast to play harper opposite you know the lovely miranda cosgrove in the reboot of the paramount plus iCarly, which i'm very excited for which i'm very excited for it seems like they're making a lot of changes mm. uh one of them being jeanette mccurdy not being there and Lacey playing a whole other character but of fucking course just like you would expect from this hodunk piece of shit country Lacey's inbox was recently flooded with racist rhetoric and death threats you know just like a casual black girl wednesday because everyone is is mad that she's quote-unquote replacing jeanette mccurdy as the best friend character as we know to be sam mm. why do y'all ride for jeanette mccurdy like this why what the <laughs> fuck what has she done like, what, has she given y'all a reason to stand her ever ever i just I don't understand. Now the show, okay, look, I have ultimate problems with the show just recasting, like throwing a black girl in and making her the best friend Miranda Cosgrove. Why wouldn't I? But also it feels like the next logical progression for the show, for this recreation. They have black writers in the room. Francesca Ramsey's in the room, mm. um, who we know from MTV's Decoded. Hilarious, hilarious. And, you know, it's just disappointing that Lacey gets this amazing role and now has to take to Instagram to be like, fuck y'all. Don't talk to me. Don't be in my phone. Stop playing in my inbox and fuck off. Like, just fuck off. Leave her alone. I love Lacey. I love Lacey. Amazing. Um, you and I have both been on Scam Goddess, an amazing podcast. Where, where we both actively incriminated ourselves for being bad people, <laughs> criminals. <laughs> Listen. We've said worse on Scam Goddess than we've ever said on Keep It. So don't listen. Girl, I'm going to start bringing Scam Goddess energy to Keep It because <laughs> I just got to talk about the crimes I've committed. Whenever Lacey comes on this show, we're all getting taken down. We're all getting canceled. Yes. But I will say that Jeanette once did this interview. Where, like, First of all, she left acting and she said that like she's sort of like embarrassed by the character of Sam now as an adult. Yeah. Oh, right. I've read that interview. Yeah, or I saw her that interview. So while y'all riding with for her. I don't understand it. She don't even like your show. She probably turned down an offer to be in the show. <laughs> I can't imagine them wanting to do a reboot and not wanting Jeanette McCurdy on it unless there was like internal strife between the cast. But I just, I don't get it. And it's always the grimiest Midwest people who crawled out of their fucking barns to connect their internet like they're not my neighbors to get go in Lacey's fucking inbox and talk shit Ugh, go listen to Scam Goddess she's amazing she's so talented gorgeous amazing and I do want to point out I did DM her I was like 
one thing, girl, is you were getting your checks. Two. And two, <laughs> the news, <laughs> when, you, when you look look at Google, Lacey Mosley, all is it saying is um, Paramount supports her, iCarly supports her, Miranda supports her. We love fans her. Fans support her. So congrats on giving her amazing press. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. You fucking trolls. Exactly. I would contribute more to this, except I turned 10,000 years old realizing there is a reboot of iCarly. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, and Freddie, Carly and Sam's friend, now has a child, just like the actor does in real life. It's really jarring. Spencer is back. The, things have changed. I really, really hope that they do the Carly, Freddie love, because the show ended. Sorry, guys. We're going deep. We're going deep. The show ended with a kiss between the two, and it was the will they, won't they of my childhood, so I just need them to answer to it. Mm-hmm. I need them to answer oh. to it now. What's next, driving Miss Lizzie McGuire? Jesus. Cool. Actually, you mm. know they're making a reboot of that. So how That's dare true. you even uh. joke? <laughs> Mine is a bit more serious, so I'm going to go next. All right. But my keep it is to Israel's social media manager. Oh, my God. I know what you're talking about. Okay. I, I First of all, why does Israel have a social media manager? No guess. Uh, why, why is the country tweeting? But this week, they tweeted out a bunch of rocket emojis which were supposed to represent you know all of the rockets you know um shot by hamas at israel you know um that were meant to kill baby there has to be a different way to approach that than like putting out a series of rocket emojis it looked deranged it was unthinkable 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 and also like there were there are other tweets that that have sounded like a um sad influencer you know, I think Naomi Fry um, referred to like their tweets as like sad influencer apology tweets because it was something being like, you know, we're exhausted this week. You know, we've been going through it. I'm like, baby, the comments are not on your side here. Yeah, no kidding. It's deranged. It's deranged. And I think it, it, it's, it's lending itself to the entire discussion that so many people have been having this week, obviously. Like, how do you show support for Palestine uh, without saying that, you know, you hate Jewish people? And some people don't understand how to do that because some people don't read um, or um, possess cognitive thinking skills. But let me tell you that ethnic cleansing, genocide, killing people... Uh, women and children, we can always come on the side of not supporting that. So, you know, we can say that Palestinian lives matter. You know, we can say that we support them not living under an oppressive rule. Uh, And it's wild that it's, like, taken forever for people to be able to, like, influences to be able to admit this, right? You know, because, like, even saying it a few years ago would have been, like, unthinkable. Uh, And it's also because the fucking right wing side of this country has decided to um make israel their like um mascot right right (laughs) you know they're always defending israel which didn't we just go through a whole election cycle where um they were constantly saying anti-semitic things so it's like if if we don't believe you (laughs) you know i want to reiterate by the way that you are talking about a twitter account that is called at israel as in yes is there an account called at united states because guess what i'm not following it and it's tweeting like Trump. I mean, I would assume it would be. But what country has a social media manager? It's so shocking. I don't understand what's happening. And by the way, it's not that they tweeted rockets one time. It's that they did it five times. Like they were like making a huge spectacle of it. Yeah. Not that this isn't already something we're already all talking about, but they were 
I guess trying to reorganize the narrative in some cutesy, emojified way, and I it really makes my brain split. The whole thing is trying to refocus a narrative and to make it be, hey, let's focus on, you know, like the attacks happening on people in Israel and not on this oppressive rule and years, years of abuse towards Palestinian people. Of course, we should live in a world where Israelis and Palestinians, you know, uh, are not under attack either. But, you know, that's not going to happen when social media lets people change narratives like this. um, And also, like, our government continues to give billions of dollars in aid to Israel. Like, that shit is whack in general. And now you have at Israel tweeting when, like, how about you focus on inviting people to birthright trips and gays to circuit parties? That's what you should be doing. Biden having this milk toast response to the whole thing or attempting to have a milk toast response. In fact, just echoing the same sentiments of the past three presidents is uh, also very disappointing. It really is. And I would say that, you know, I feel like social media is the one thing sort of like helping raise any sort of awareness about this. And people actually talking about what's happening in Palestine is something that wasn't happening years ago. So um, keep tweeting about it. Keep posting about it. Uh, keep calling out deranged tweets from at Israel. I truly cannot get over it. It is who is sitting there typing that out? There's no parallel. Uh, there's no parallel. It's not like nothing else I've ever seen on social media. And I think I've seen most of social media at this point. So. <laughs> My keep it is luckily a lot lighter than this. I hope we're all okay with that. My keep it is too. And I don't want to insult any of the people involved because they're all unreal talented i would say the lead of this upcoming movie gave maybe the definitive lead broadway performance of the past 10 years and i watched every live performance he gave including the emmy winning one when we had that category for about 10 seconds if you remember that and amy adams is in it and uh julianne moore is in it uh and they both just survived woman in the window so i'm equally supportive of their lives at the moment <laughs> i'm talking about dear evan hansen which the the trailer just dropped the point of this movie is just so unfortunate. It's like somebody, I, I'm sorry, it's like gay Joker, where this kid <laughs> who's like, I'm in the backdrop. No one's really looking at me. I really want to make an impact. How about I ruin some motherfucking lives? And you're supposed to be sympathetic to him because he has a cast on his arm and has a lovely voice. I've got news for you. Uh, lots of talented people are just sociopaths. Uh, in fact, their talent is covering up the sociopathy. Mm. After watching the trailer, I mean, you get the, the songs you want from this musical. I will say, I do think this musical has three great songs, and all the other ones are fine. You've got Waving Through a Window, which is maybe the best show tune of the past 10 years. Maybe the best show tune. A bop. A bop. I mean, the Thunderpuss remix alone. Oh, please. Yeah. Oh, girl. <laughs> Who's the wait? Did, did Katy Perry release a version of "Waving Through a Window"? I think she did. Probably. Anyway, I, I don't want to scare anybody, but you got that. <laughs> you've got uh, "For Forever," so good, and then the opening song I really like too. I forget it's when he's like starting his day. Good morning, Baltimore. That's not it, but okay. <laughs> I just feel like this story is not. It's it's a story where if you think about it for four seconds, it's not redeeming to the character, and it's not someone you want to root for. So you just have to coast on the fun and the real verve of the songs in it. But 
I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. And you know what? Ben Platt in the trailer looks pretty good for being clearly older than high school age now. So they did a good job with the makeup. Yeah, he is serving Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah. The new Luke Perry of our generation. Uh, the uh, Stacey Dash of our generation. Yeah. <laughs> the Bianca Lawson. There we go. The Stockard Channing of our generation. <laughs> you know how old Stockard Channing was in Greece? The answer is 34. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know what? Ben can sing. Oh, yeah. So I'll be there. Ben Platt is like a kind little gay celebrity. Has he not been on this show? He hasn't. What have we done not to have Ben Platt on this show? He hasn't. Well, now I've insulted Dear Evan Hansen, so maybe we've ruined it. But Yeah. He's going to block me on Instagram. Uh. <laughs> uh, now, he, we, let's, get, let's get him on. Let's get his sweet little yeah. self on for to promote this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be like him. And then we'll ask him. Where does he get off? Yeah, being gay Joker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think Sasha Stone will love this movie then if it's gay Joker? No, we have to remind people who Sasha Stone is every time you bring her up. She writes a blog called Awards Daily. She feuds with Ira sometimes. She's a little bit upset that people get canceled, I think. And she routinely is wrong about Best Picture. She's nice to me, but she has her moments. Well, you're white. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> True enough, Ira. <laughs> You've just been Sasha Stone. Is that what I've been? All right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Thank you to Wanda Sykes for being here today. Legend uh, of legends. We love her. Yeah, that's our show. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.